Today we have Steve Ezell of uh, PayVita. He's uh, SVP for Partner Sales. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast, Steve. Well, hello there. How are you? Uh, I'm doing, uh, doing great. How about you? Drying out over here in Sonoma County. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Well, we got 5.66 inches of rain in 24 hours. Oh, Whoa. my gosh. Yikes. That's what we get here in Maryland. You guys don't yeah, usually see, get that much rain California. in a year, do you? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, and and of course this isn't this is not burn season. You could have used this a few months ago, I bet. Yeah, really. Absolutely. Well, Steve, thank Absolutely. you so much for taking the time uh, to be part of our po- podcast. I was hoping maybe uh, for folks who don't know you, um, for our our, our our listeners, maybe provide a little bit of background on your career in merchant sales and uh, what you're up to now. What led you to pay Vita well, and so forth. Well, believe it or not, I didn't intend to be um, in the payments business. I intended to. Um, Few of us did. To be an actor. Ah, I intended wow. to be an actor. I, uh, when I was very young, uh, I started my a small business, a printing business that I ran for five years and built it up to the point where somebody could buy it for me, and I had some money that I could, um, you know, take some time off, and so I did. I went to New York, and I studied acting at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, and I. I lived in New York for a while and did the whole acting thing and came back to L.A. and did the whole acting thing and just decided it wasn't for me. I mean, you know, I didn't make it rich and famous, of course. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that I just realized it was a very vain and um, uh, concept. Being an actor, you're constantly focused on yourself because you are your instrument. You are what you're selling. Right. So you have to be. You have to be focused on yourself. And it's exhausting. It really is. It's exhausting to focus on yourself that much. Mm, I bet. Um, 24-7. And so I just decided that, you know, I was going to do something else. And I had a choice. When I got out back from New York, I married my wife. And I decided to make a career because I wasn't going to do the acting thing anymore. So I didn't want to go back into the printing business. My brother had been selling merchant services for a company called Peachtree Bank Card, which some may may not be aware of. Sure. And I had a brother. I had another. I had another friend, a good friend of mine, who was going to teach me the mortgage business. Well, my brother was making more money in merchant processing business than my buddy was making in the mortgage business, believe it or not. So I decided that I was going to go learn merchant services. Uh huh. Uh huh. So me and my brother, for a couple of years, we were partners. We would go out and we would do a tag team sales approach for selling terminals and printers and leases and check guarantee and all that fun stuff. And uh, I remember, I remember selling Zon. Oh yes, Jr. the Zon Junior. Mm-hmm. Didn't have it. Didn't even have the ability to capture the transaction. All it did was tell you. Basically, whether there was money in the account or not, or whether it was, you know, it was a live account. Right. But it still saved, it saved, it saved tons of money or time and effort from the bulletins that you had to have. Exactly. Saved you time and energy from having to make the phone call to the authorization center, which, you know, with the customer standing waiting to, you know, find out what's going on, mm-hmm. you know, in a store. That's a brilliant nightmare. And so the magic box was the Zon Jr., I mean, I used to sell that thing without a printer for $99 a month for 48 months. Jeez. Nice. Some good, lease, some good lease funding on that. <laughs> I everybody did that. Yeah, right. 
Oh yeah, that was that was worth you know a lot of money for me uh, back in those days, and I made very good money, as you can imagine. And uh, I learned the business, and I it wasn't long before Peachtree Bank Card morphed into uh, Cherry Payment Systems and got sued because they were very dishonest about what they did. They sold their book of business to a, an investment firm, and then turned around and sent messages to, or you know. Each and every one of their customers saying we're going to lower your rate if you come back to us. Uh-huh. Wow. I bet so, the inv- I bet uh, the investment firm you know, loved that. <laughs> oh, that was just, they were jolly. Absolutely. I bet. I enamored with that mm-hmm. decision. Yes. And so, you know, I left there and I went to work for um, another bank card company, uh, American Bank Card, which was Sam Lugbinder. Mm-hmm. And then I went to work for First Law for Card Services. Right. And uh, and I managed an office in uh, Southern California. And I just started working up my ranks. And I worked for uh, a couple different small ISOs, I mean, a couple different larger ISOs, like uh, Nova and uh, what was one And I worked for just a couple of them, just basically – but mostly just managing sales offices. And then I went to work for a company in, in L.A. called PayPoint, which PayPoint was a very interesting story in the sense that PayPoint could have owned the debit marketplace mm-hmm. because they had the relationships in, 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 in California and the West Coast. They were the only debit network in America at the time. Back in the day when, when uh, debit networks were coming into play, the reason why – Paypoint played such a huge role in the West Coast is because of the fact that they're owned by Atlantic Richfield, which is Arco. Right. And um, Arco, back in 1983, they got rid of their credit card. They decided, you know, everybody, every other gas station took credit cards, but they said, we're not going to take credit cards anymore. Right. I remember that. Get rid of our credit card. We're we're not, we're going to take cash only. And so they started to investigate the concept of using debit cards at the point of sale. Mm-hmm. And so what they did was they created their own network, made their own, you know, back office deals with, 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 you know, processors and with banks and with uh, grocery store associations and whatnot. Uh-huh. And developed this network that at the point of sale at Arco gas stations, you could use your debit card. Right. I remember. And so, Everybody and their mother wanted to get on board grocery stores and, mm-hmm. you know, everybody that was doing, you know, something to do with retail. Because debit was almost unheard of in point. those days, right? I mean, my recollection in the 80s, nobody was doing debit at the point of sale. No. Hmm. Right. No. And this was like 1995 mm-hmm. when, you know, they and, and, you know, so in the 90s, they were they were building up this network and they had this this very you know, robust network for taking debit cards. And in the West Coast, it was done by, you know, Albertson's grocery stores. It was done by, you know, a lot of big C stores and whatnot. Mm -hmm. They were taking debit cards at the point of sale and nobody else in the country was doing it. They were, there was a consortium of banks in Chicago that were starting to do it. Right. I remember that. That was Steve Cole's network, right? That's correct. That's correct. And so once that happened and everything started to spread on the East Coast, and you know, PayPoint. They were run by a very large corporation. That was their problem. Yes. Once they, went, they and they never they 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 kind of spun themselves off, but they still were run by the you know the grandmaster corporation, mm-hmm. and that stinted their growth. They really could have 
owned the debit marketplace if they would have just let it go because everybody loved mm-hmm. PayPoint. It was a very reliable night network. Yes. Wow. It worked. It was recognizable for most people, and um, it, it, it could have been something special, but they just kind of uh, – it's still going. I mean, PayPoint, but it's not what it used to be by any stretch. Huh. So I, wow. I, I left there and, and then just kind of uh, I, I landed um, at an interesting place called PEOBC Charge, which is uh, uh, Go Software. And Go Software right. was the first software to do e-commerce on your computer. You mm-hmm. could do you could control your own e-commerce on the I computer. I sold a few so PC Charge accounts the- myself. I remember that. Yeah, I was the first official salesperson for, really? you know, and That's I cool. was in charge of sales for Go Software. I was hired by uh, Bill Pittman, who created Go Software. Right, All right. I remember Bill. And uh, um, so, you know, from there, then I then I got into the check business. That's when I went to work for CrossChat. Okay, which is, I think, uh, yeah, I uh, remember that. Paul Green. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because what I did was I was I I toured the country with with Paul Green's Green Sheet seminar remember i remember we were and, both on uh, the uh, on the, on those panels together i remember that that's correct yeah. that's correct that's right remember those oh yes yeah and uh, um and so because of that paul green offered me a job at crosscheck and uh i took it you know so i thought that i'd be there for 183 years because paul green was like a mentor to me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and or he was a mentor to me and and then he decided to retire. Right. And when he decided to retire, things changed. Yeah, yeah, a lot. changed so a I lot there. To, yeah, it really did. So I just moved on, and uh, I landed at a company called um, eFunds. Oh yes, I remember eFunds when it was still part of Deluxe. eFunds. Well, it was yeah. Deluxe Data changed. Their, they bought this little company in Tustin called eFunds. Right, I remember. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they, when they bought the company, they changed their name. Deluxe Data changed their name to eFunds. Right. You know, and everything you know was Deluxe Data. You know, they still own the scan negative file. Mm-hmm. Um, they still owned, uh, you know, a lot of relationships. I mean, they were one of the biggest processors in the country that nobody ever heard of. Right. I remember them. And, you know, and so they they went public, which was nice because I had founders. Um, uh, stock and you know, so I jumped into the company before they went public, and it was nice. I cashed out, and then they closed down the retail division, which 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 right. is where I was. I was in the retail division. Right. They just closed it down, and that's when I went to work for um, Secure Payment Systems. Okay. Secure Payment Systems. I was I was there for 14 years, and I I went. That company was doing about a hundred thousand a year when I got there. Lynn didn't even know I was going to pay me. And when I left, we had 1,200. We had four ISOs when I started that Lynn had, that had you know, gotten, he'd gotten. I, I signed up 1,200 by the time I left. Wow, nice. And the company was doing over 12 million. Nice, nice. So, um, you know, I built the company up myself um, personally because I was in charge of sales and we were doing everything through ISOs mostly. I mean, we did have some ACH processing and we did have some interesting other accounts, but the fact of the matter is that most of the stuff was going through ISOs and mm-hmm. um, ISVs. So, you know, um, but from there I went back, I went over to DAS, 
um, diversified acquiring solutions and uh, got back into selling credit card processing to ISOs and to agents and whatnot uh-huh. using my, you know, what I had developed with pretty substantial, um, you know, contact database. So I, you know, sure, sure. Helped. But uh, DAS had had its fair share of, of um, hiccups getting to where they were. And the owner had had some, you know, hard times and whatnot. And so I was supposed to put them back on the map, but there just, there wasn't enough for us to compete with the North American bank cards of the world. Mm-hmm. You know, the big behemoths, the shift Four, Harbor touch, you know, the Cayennes, all those big kind of guys that were offering the moon and the stars for, I mean, they were buying merchant accounts is what they're doing. They still are, you know, and uh, you know, the return on investment is about 18 months most of the time on those guys. And you got to put up 18 months worth of revenue before you get, you know, start seeing anything, your payback. Right. Sure. Uh-huh. Right. So, um, you know, so it's about that time that I, um, I tried a, a startup company called Maven's Tech, which is the debt for four months. It was just it's fun. They had a great restaurant app that, uh, that bypassed a lot of, red tape and bureaucracy so that you could basically just order your food online. And uh, if you were signed up with a certain restaurant, boom, they could just deliver it. You know, it, and that was before DoorDash and before, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, but uh, Grubhub was there, but the fact is, is it was a pretty streamlined process, but they, uh, they made one serious flaw and that was they didn't get certified on, on all the major POS software in the country. Yeah. That could be a problem. Yeah, it was, you know, nobody, you know, larger restaurants didn't want to do their, you know, um, you know, their, their ordering in the back, in the back, you know, with the kitchen and stuff like that. They, they wanted a special place for it. So, you know, they wanted it to be tracked by their software that they paid, you know, a lot of money, a lot for, of money so. for. Sure. Yeah, so they, they, so it didn't work out. And so that's when uh, Payvita came looking for me. And, you know, it was just the concept was amazing because of the fact that we've got so much, so much technology and so much um, going for us. And crypto is one of the things that we're, we're leading the charge in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't I can't get into super detail because we have a lot of. Um, um, I don't know, under the table and, and, and back office and um, just. We just have a lot of interesting things that that haven't come together yet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I really haven't, I really can't really go into detail as far as what we're doing over at Paybeat. I'm I'm sorry. Yeah. So I wanted to kind of get into the cryptocurrency because a lot has been written about cryptocurrencies and we've received, you know, quite a few questions from the field about people want to know, you know, what if any implications this might have for merchant services. And uh, as you say, I know Paybeat has been working in this area, but Maybe if you could give us talk a little bit about crypto and and whether or not these uh, crypto wallets um, are you know what what it's what it might do in terms of uh, disrupting the traditional ISO relationships. Do you think that this this is a d- disruptive factor, a disruptive force? I mean, you got to you. you you got to look at it as a disruptor because anything that changes the status quo is what we would consider a disruptor in the industry, right? Sure. So the fact of the matter is that technically speaking, crypto is a disruptor. 
you know, because it's quote unquote different. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, it's it's a different form of currency. It's it's a digital currency that doesn't, you know, emulate anything that we've been, you know, introduced to, you know, over the last fifty hundred years. You know, it's completely different. It's a digitized currency. There's no you can't you can't hold it in your hands, you know. But we, you know, at least the credit cards you can hold it in your hand. You can stick it in the you know in the EMV slots. You can pull it out. You can slide it if you want to. You know, you can feel it. Tap you can put it back it. in your wallet. You know, you cut it in half. You have to, right? Right, <laughs> right, uh, right. Um, you know, uh, but the fact is, we we can still hold it in our hands, and it just seems like that's so, such an important part of of our existence is that we have to be able to have some level of control. And I think the cryptocurrency it, it, it goes beyond that. But cryptocurrency, like I explained it before, it's a lot like cash. You know, it's one entity offering. A transaction to another entity and it's you know it's it's real-time gross settlement it's it's um it's convenient it makes it easier for cross-border settling it makes it easier for for um you know geographic uh advantages and whatnot but mm-hmm. the fact of the matter is it's misunderstood that is the biggest problem it's misunderstood and it's also very um you know it's 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 tied to computers that are vulnerable right and since it's vulnerable more vulnerable than any other you know um currency it's volatile right and since it's volatile it makes it very difficult to put your finger on it and make you know to hold still i mean you you know when you pay a dollar for something you expect maybe some you know uh uh inflation or something like that to come in and maybe it'll be worth only you know 95 cents but you know, when you buy a dollar and it's worth three cents after that, right. you kind of go, "Wait a minute, I don't think I want to do this for very long." Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But the fact of the matter is, it keeps marching on. It keeps marching on, and people are starting to embrace the concept because of the advantages. So what do it you, does offer a number of advantages. Yeah, what would you say some of those advantages are? And also, you could maybe touch on this because something that I've often wondered. You know, where are the applications? I don't see using a cryptocurrency to buy a hot dog, right? I mean, would that be I right. mean, are there specific merchant verticals where this has, you know, more viable application, do you think? Well, I think that most of the people that have adopted it are 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 you know, eccentric at best as far as sure. what you know, they're willing to step outside of the box. Right. You know, that's really what's what's driven the the, the um, you know the marketplace in in crypto is that there's all these different people that are saying we can't continue to do things the same way that we did things in the 50s, and you know although that's not completely true, <laughs> we're still proving that many of the things that we did back in the 70s and 80s and 90s still working is still going on. Yeah, yeah it's still going on. Right. Right. So, uh, you know, I would say that um, – let me see. I have some notes here. Let me just find my notes as far as um, some numbers. Um, I mean, you know, I do have some advantages. Most of the time, it's got to do with the fact that it's an instantaneous transaction, what they call RTGS. Right, real-time, real-time gross settlement. settlement. Right. Gross settlement. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, that's big, you know, and um, – 
you got to look at cross-border acquiring. You know, the fact of the matter is, is that when you are dealing with other countries, you have to deal with other, you know, currency conversion, right? You know, and currency conversion is messy. Right. Right. Whereas, whereas crypto makes that go away. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you let the receiver deal with the issues associated with, you know, you know, a dollar worth of crypto is a dollar worth of crypto everywhere in the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, so, um, so to that, I mean, I could see so for international commerce. I mean, but it's that's not the only yeah, place it's being local, reused, right? No, it's not. You're right. It's still it's it's being used locally, but the fact of the matter is, it's very small. The percentage of people that are actually embracing it on a retail level or anything. Like buying a pack of gum with your with your you know um, Bitcoin, your Bitcoin is, is probably not going to happen in the near future. Right. But the fact of the matter is, but there are large transactions, huge transactions. You know, people that are buying yachts and people that are buying you know ocean liners and people that are buying um, you know plane jet planes and things like that. Big big transactions where it makes a lot of sense because they they don't have you know, the same barriers to moving the money from one place to another. So, you know, say somebody wants to go buy a plane in Brazil, mm-hmm. you know, the, the currency is different, you know, but if they pay with Bitcoin, everybody understands what it's worth. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, sure. and, um, you know, and the transaction is very simple. You know, it's, it's one person shaking the other person's hand. It's just like cash. I hand you a dollar, you give me a dollars with the merchandise. Boom. Right. It's the same thing with Bitcoin. I hand you, I hand you a dollars with the Bitcoin, you give me dollars for the merchandise. I mean, it's a lot more complicated than cash. Don't 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 uh, right. don't fool myself. I am not. But the fact of the matter is, is that it it has a lot of um, the same qualities, mm-hmm. you know. And really, that's why it's it's got certain you know advantages. And I mean, one of them is the fact that it's like I say, geographically, it makes sense because the fact is, is that I don't have to worry about being um, you know, at that location to, to take the transaction, I could be someplace else. True, true. You know, um, you know, like I say, cross-border acquiring. You know, that's another huge issue because of the fact is you got different levels of currency and different values of currency. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, uh, most of the time, most of the time, the people that are dealing with this are people that have money. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're willing to they're willing to experiment with something that makes sense to them, and that's the that's the deal with with crypto is that there's a lot of things that make sense about crypto as far as value that it offers to a to two individuals that want to do a transaction. I mean, even even if you want to do like a, a cash app or you want to do a Venmo or anything along those lines, you still have to go through a third party to make that transaction occur. Right, right. Whereas with a crypto, with, it's with, Crypto, you you do not. Me to Steve, Steve to me, whatever. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So so you know, I, I was just sharing with James a minute ago a, a chart that I had come across when I was doing some research for this, that just really sort of blew my mind. But maybe what you're saying kind of applies to this. Uh, annual Bitcoin transaction value in U.S. dollars last year exceeded U.S. dollars via Discover and PayPal. Is that because they tend to be for such large transactions? Yes, yes, that's that's exactly right. 
Whereas oh. the PayPal, you know, there's people. I, I go on PayPal. I'm buying something for twenty bucks, for twenty bucks, or a hundred bucks. But I'm going yeah. on. I'm using right. my Bitcoin to buy a Learjet. Right, and okay. the fact of the matter is, is that with 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 cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. there's no accountability. Right, and that's one of the reasons why it's not it's not being embraced in the United States is there's no accountability. Right, sure, it's like it's there's like, no paper trail. Right, there's no paper trail. Right, no currency Just transaction like reports. There's no paper trail. <laughs> right, right. There's no, no. Yeah, yeah. Every transaction, PayPal it has to have some level of accountability. You know, Discover they have a level of accountability. Current, right, cryptocurrency, none, none. Okay, none. Okay. It's like cash. Interesting. Once that transaction occurs, it didn't happen. Right, right. Which is yeah, I, and which I is mean, why I see you, except, you know, except between the two parties. Right, right. Okay. So well, you know, it it go it's ahead. got it's got you know supernatural. It's got you know wide ranging advantages. But like I say, coming down to the local level, the small mom and pop or the retail, it that's going to take a while. That's yeah. going to take a while. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen. I know we don't have a whole lot of time, but I wanted to uh, get to one other disruptor quote unquote that I wanted to pick your brain on because you have been in this business for a real long time and and that's uh cash discounting. That just makes me old. Yeah, I know, but <laughs> no older than me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, you well, know Well, um cash discounting is very hot. It's very, very um controversial in the sense of you know the how the associations view it and how merchants view it and how consumers view it and how salespeople can view it. It's got its own flavor all the way down the line. Yeah. Do you, but, do you, but the fact of the matter is that this cash discounting, sorry. No, I was just going to say, cause I think you're going to probably go to this, but you know, is this a flash in the pan or does it have real staying power in your mind? You know what? I don't know. Okay. That's fair because enough. The reason yeah, why me, I don't know is because <laughs> I always ask because I figure maybe somebody is, knows. I, I, <laughs> yeah, the the problem is is that it is controversial, but it 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 serves a need that's very very important, and that is it takes away the merchant's fees basically for mm-hmm. taking credit cards, which they've been clamoring to get rid of for a long time. Long time. Ever since they figured out that they've been overcharged by the uh, you know by the by the banks and by the associations sure they want that back they want that money back they don't want to pay it they don't think they should pay it it's a convenience that they're offering their their consumers that they don't think that it's you know they're not getting their their money back so to speak they're not getting their value right right so so it, it makes sense for a merchant merchants you know but the problem is you always got to worry about the consumer mm-hmm. you know and and i've always said this since i can remember and that is never ever underestimate the power of the consumer oh sure if the if the consumer will not accept this then it's not going to fly yeah it's just not going to fly nope and and an experience will not fly you know and then we've we've talked about this a lot i mean experiences that people love getting a discount for something so the idea that of a cash discount say versus a surcharge is from the consumer's perspective a little more palatable wouldn't you say that's correct. I mean, it, it's it's basically nomenclature. It's just basically, you know, a word. I mean, you know, cash discounting, the way that it's being sold today, it really is surcharging, mm-hmm. which doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing, but it has a bad connotation. Right. 
you know, and um, the the thing is that if you want to do real cash discounting, and James knows this, um, you have to have a separate price for everything in your store for cash and for credit cards if you want to do pure, real cash discounting. Right, right. Yeah, like that's the how, gas how it was stations. originally intended. The gas stations. What's that? I said how it yeah, was, that's, that's how that's, it was originally it, intended, right? Right. And that's and that's what it is. You know, that's what it is. They've they've changed the name, you know, to make it more palatable than the concept of surcharging. Mm-hmm. But the fact is is that it is still surcharging. Right. Which it's, like I say, it doesn't necessarily have to it's not illegal. It's except, you know, it's it's illegal in like five states. Right. <laughs> but right. still forty you know, I I can't remember now. It's forty three to forty five states. Forty five. Yeah, forty five. Mm-hmm. Forty five, okay. So it is forty five. Okay. So um uh you could still offer it. You could still offer it, but the fact is, is that it, you know it seems much more easier to do uh, when you just basically say that everything in the store is based on cash. If you want to pay with a credit card, it's an extra four percent. Right. Um, and merchants are embracing that. You know, the, the only misgiving they have is that what's it going to do to my consumer? My consumer going to vote with their feet and, and right. walk away. Right. Right. Um, you know. I'll tell you, me, me as a consumer, you know, if I walked into my, you know, local transmission repair facility and wanted to get my car a new transmission and they told me it was going to cost me 4% to use my credit card, I would walk out the door. Sure. You know, on a $2,500, dollars right. transaction. Yeah, that's a big part of it, too. I think the average ticket size <clears throat> makes a big difference. I mean, overall, most most processors I do consulting for have found that there hasn't been a real big difference in consumer behavior but most of that is just because frankly the consumer just doesn't even notice it they're used to seeing signs that they don't pay attention to so they don't even really notice it very few people look at their receipts anymore (laughs) so you know there hasn't been a lot of kickback yet except for some of those verticals that do have larger ticket sizes like you mentioned you know a $2,500 ticket obviously four percent starts to matter Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah yeah Yeah, and, and you know so that makes all that makes um you know we're we're in agreement the fact is is that the jury's still out as to whether or not the consumers are going to right you know let this thing f- fly all the way past that number you know that whatever that number is you know mm-hmm. is it five hundred dollars is it a thousand dollars is it twenty five hundred dollars is it right. five dollars you know what is that number where the consumer is going to say no right sure you know we know that you go into into a uh a convenience store and they say, you know, it's going to cost you an extra 15 cents for, you know, what your, for your, um, you know, your hot dog and Coke. Right. Like, oh, that's a big deal. And, you know, he's my credit card, the, you know, the convenience is my credit card. Um, so, you know, it's, um, it's just a matter of more time. You know, yeah. it's, this is going to get really interesting. That's, that's for sure. It's going to get really interesting because Visa is pushing back. Stop calling it cash discounting when it's not right um, stop doing it on debit cards and, when it's surcharging mm-hmm. <laughs> right right and <laughs> if you're going to surcharge do it right yeah yeah, yeah. do it right you've got it the merchant has to register you know yeah yeah and, and that that you know it's some of those steps that make surcharging that much less palatable i would think absolutely yeah when I walk in the door as a salesperson and I told somebody that I can save them, you know, all their credit card processing charges and we're just going to put it back on the consumer. Um, they're like, great, sign me up. This is awesome. You know, but there are certain markets that are verticals where that 
doesn't automatically lend itself to being, you know, attractive. And people say, well, what about my consumer? How are they going to react? I mean, I, I need every customer I have. Right, right. Sure. Yeah, you know, that's, that's always the concern. the door because, right, that's always a concern, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, so where where's that threshold? Where's that threshold where we're going to get consumer revolt? Right now, we're not. We're not yeah. getting much at all. I mean, my understanding is that they're doing cash discount or surcharging in the city of New York. Mm-hmm. Everywhere. Of course, also in it's the city everywhere. of New York, there there's a lots of merchants that don't want to accept cash either. <laughs> right. That's yeah. exactly right. They're they're making it illegal. They're actually making it illegal in New York to you to be cash only. Yeah. Well, no, actually, they're making it illegal to be not uh, to not accept cash. Oh, they're saying you have not to be you have to be accepted. You have to accept cash. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. yeah. But I was talking yeah, to I was talking brain. to my cousin, you know, who lives in New York, and she's like, oh yeah. You know, there's all kinds of merchants here where, where we can't use our cash. Wow, that's crazy. I was yeah, very surprised with that. Yeah. So, well, listen, Steve, this has been really enlightening. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, a lot of good information, definitely. Um, do you, um, if anybody wants to uh, talk to you some more or find out more about what Payvita is doing, um, what would be the best way for people to get a hold of you? Um, just, you know what? I'll give you my cell phone. Call me on my cell phone, 707-328-5654. Or my email, which is steve at payvita.ca. Okay. Awesome. awesome. Thanks, Steve. Steve, thanks so much. It's really been great catching up with you again, and I look forward to chatting with you well, some more. yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. You guys have a great day. Hey, you too, my friend. Enjoy. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by greensheet.com a premier resource for the electronic payments industry. The Green Sheet has been on the beat since 1983, always focused on boosting the feet on the street in our evolving sphere. Well, I received an email recently from a Green Sheet subscriber who related the tale of two merchant clients who got caught up in phishing attacks. Apparently, the attacks occurred in December during the Christmas rush. The fraudsters cloned the merchant's uh, terminal IDs and created bogus merchant accounts in an effort to run fraudulent transactions. Hmm. In one case, on December 23rd, the fraudsters attempted 20,000 fraudulent authorizations. Wow. Or so it was explained to me. I was just, that, 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 that number just blew yeah. my mind. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot. So the merchant's processor was able to catch the frauds in pretty short order, within hours, I'm told. Um, and issue the new, you know issue new merchant codes, but due to staffing shortages, the merchants didn't learn of the problem until customers began complaining um, that they couldn't process um, online sales, which was uh, wow. so this was like a Moto account, right? Well, wow. right, and so it was like I'm just like three days later, mm-hmm. they heard from uh, customers that couldn't you know couldn't couldn't initiate these payments. Sure. And that's when the agent received calls from this irate client. Right. Why is my account shut down? Right. And, you know, and uh, and they felt that, you know, hey, the problem should have been caught sooner or they should have been told sooner. You right. Know, they right. had a lot of complaints. Now, you know, I'll be honest. I'm not sure the agent or the processor could have done much more than they did given the circumstances and the timing. Sure. But it does point to a very real problem. So I thought it would be a good idea to offer some tips that ISOs and agents can share with clients as well as embrace themselves uh, to ensure they don't get caught up in these in yeah, these things. Sure. Um, 
So first, a little background. Um, in the broadest sense, a phishing attack is any attempt to trick someone with an email that looks legitimate. For an example, the email may ask you to click on a URL that looks like that of a trusted partner, but maybe two of the letters are transposed. Mm. That's a very common one. You know, PayPal, P-Y-A-P-A-L-L. Mm -hmm. You know, and if you're not looking close enough, you might not catch that. Sure. Right? Um, so, you know, the idea, obviously, is to con recipients into opening these un either unsafe attachments or click on unsafe URLs or hand over sensitive information. Sure. Um, the key to running a phishing, phishing scheme is to create a replica of a secure website that's good enough to fool most people. And then once you enter your username and password on the bogus site, the fraudsters can gain access right. to all kinds right. of stuff. Um, a recent report by the enterprise security firm Proofpoint, um, according, you know, they did this, this uh, report that said that the file sharing service Dropbox is the top lure for phishing attacks, followed by lures from the electronic signature uh, service DocuSign and those containing Microsoft um, Office attachments. Sure, yep. Um, uh, Proofpoint also keeps tabs on phishing attacks by industry, and they found that in retailing, the most common attacks use DocuSign and Microsoft Excel lures. Hmm. Ditto for real estate, business services, and the financial sector. Sure. So uh, here's some recommended steps you can take and advise clients to take in order to avoid being caught by phishing attacks. I called this list from several sources. It's probably not comprehensive, but these are all steps that individually or in concert can help protect businesses from taking the bait. Sure. Okay, one defensive strategy offered by Proofpoint is to buy up the internet, internet domain names that can be mistaken for, for yours before fraudsters can start well, that's a good idea. Doing that. I thought that was a really yeah. great idea. Yeah. Um, there are also are advanced email security solutions um, in the market that can protect against these attacks and e email gateway solutions that prevent unsafe emails from reaching potential victims. I use one of these. I think it costs me maybe $99 a year. Okay. It's a great, you know, it's, it's <clears throat> it, sure. it makes my, you know, it, it makes me far less vulnerable. Yeah, I, of course. Of course. Um, so another another tip: uh, stay up to date with uh, antivirus and anti-malware software. That's a pretty much a no-brainer. Sure. Um, and then another tip they gave uh, that I that I came up with is train train yourselves and your employees and your clients on spotting attacks. Sure. Uh, one ex exercise that was recommended by Proofpoint is to use phishing simulations and see who or no organization clicks on them. Hmm. Um, you know, if you pair this with ongoing awareness trainings, um, you know, these simulations can, you know, be, or at least reduce the likelihood of being stung. Sure. Uh, here are some ongoing training um, tips. Don't ever click on links and email messages from people or organizations you don't know. Of course. Avoid clicking on URLs and social media sites. Now, I have to admit, I sometimes make that mistake and sure and then i go "Ooh, why did i do that you know yeah sometimes i'll hover over the thing to see if see the, what it is see yeah. what it is see if it looks legit sure um always check web addresses if a url looks off kilter then bolt you know like an example like somebody uh one of the 
sites I was looking at, an example they gave was paypal.trickster.com. Uh, you yeah, know what? Using a subdomain. <laughs> yeah, subdomains probably right. not what you what you want to deal with. Right. Um, and look for HTTP locks. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll tell you what. I have to point out on that one <clears throat> for our industry. Boy, oh boy! Really, hopefully, people are listening to that. Mm-hmm. I'm amazed at how many websites I go to. I went. Where was that? I probably wouldn't say anyone here, but I was at a big processing company the other day. Went to their website to to log in to put mm-hmm. my password and username in. Right. 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 Uh, to an old like portfolio that I had there. Right. It's it was HTTP. It wasn't HTTPS. It wasn't even locked. Right. And I'm like, okay, you're gonna send my e- my email and password, you know, over an unsecured connection. Right. Where any anybody could just fish that right out. Yeah. You know, well, if I use that same, <clears throat> you know, people are like, oh, I don't care if somebody accesses my residual portfolio. Well, are you using the same email and password for your bank account? Uh huh. <laughs> Which most people do. Yeah. Right. So then uh, that can become right. a problem. And, you know, and even if it doesn't, if even if it isn't an HTTPS, uh, you know, a lot of the 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 um, browsers, I think it's Chrome is the one I'm thinking of. Um, you know, there's no secure lock or something like that. You know, they'll have a warning. Oh, absolutely. Warning, warning. This, you know, yep. this does not look like a secure website. Right. Right. If that if that happens, get out of there. Right. 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 Yeah, and again, if you're an agent and you're going to log into your portal and it's giving you that error, you might want to reach out to the support team uh-huh. and say, hey, can you let IT know that our website's not secured? It's like the easiest, like you talk about like security. I mean, this is like the easiest security step ever. Right. Implementing HTTPS is like, that's not difficult at all. And, and what it actually does is like when you click a link, what you're really doing is you're visiting a different URL pretty much, which mm-hmm. is redirecting you. Right. Part of that URL is going to be your full password and username in a public URL that you know, somebody could could get that Easily information. Get right. Whereas if it's HTTPS, what it does is it just encrypts it right. for that brief, you know, split second when you're going between pages. And it's and you know, but in that brief section, that That's brief, that lot of things can happen. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, so so yeah, if you get a you know, if there's a warning, definitely you wanna you wanna stay clear of that. Okay, um, another tip um, for you know organizations is, you know. Be careful about using third-party add-ons that connect to some of these p- popular business apps. Sure. You know, because they can they can be host uh, to all kinds of threats. Or they can misuse the data. There's all kinds of sure. problems you can get into there. And finally, uh, the, probably the biggest uh, thing that I think uh, would help a lot of people is uh, use password managers. You know, typically mm. when you like you were explaining, if you tip. You know, if you're logging into, you know, your your processor site or something like that. Right. Um, it's going to, you know, these password managers are, are going to automatically populate your username and your password. Right. And if it doesn't automatically populate that, mm-hmm. the, pro- the site's probably a fraud. Yeah. So these are some tips. I, you know, like I said, they're probably not the be all and end all. But um, I good think it would help advice, a lot. Though. Yeah, some good practical and advice. And I think it's just something people, even if they don't take those specific tips, it's like this is something you should be thinking about. Always thinking about. <clears> you know, I think a lot of people I think, don't even realize what happens. Like, you know, a lot of times they'll click on a link and you're like, nothing happened when I clicked on that link. Uh-huh. You know, immediately close your browser, shut your computer down, and restart it. Yes. Yes. Okay, if it, because what happened a lot of times, if you click a link and nothing happens, something happened. What usually happened is they started a behind-the-scenes program in your mm-hmm. web browser that mm-hmm. is recording everything you type. Yes, passwords. You know, because again, <clears throat> you got to understand if somebody has access to your browser, 
it doesn't matter how encrypted something is, behind, it, it, you know, I can build a browser program right now. It would take me about, you could time me, it would take me about 10 minutes, and I could record every keystroke that you did on my computer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because you can record that. Computers have to know what button you clicked in order to do something with it. Right. And so it's not that hard to make a program like that if somebody gives you authorization and you, you they download this tiny little program that takes like a half a second to download, and then all of a sudden they're recording everything and sending it to their server. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's how phishing really works most of the time. Yeah, yeah. So good stuff, Patty. Good stuff to watch out for. Yeah, thanks. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by InstantQuoteTool.com. With over 30 training courses covering everything from sales objections to statement analysis, ISOs are using our learning management system to help new agents understand the industry and how to sell merchant services. Industry veterans love our courses because we dive deeper into concepts such as interchange and explore new industry trends like cash discounting, NFC, and the resurgence of American Express with the OptiBlue program. Put all of these training courses together with the leading proposal creation tool for merchant services agents in the field, and we believe our branded ISO solution and individual user package is a must-have. Visit instantquotetool.com today or email support at instantquotetool.com to learn more. Should I still sell cash discounting? Well, Patty, we've had a very interesting few weeks here. Uh, lots of really interesting interviews about yeah. cash discounting, surcharging, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of opinions flying around, a lot of things happening in the industry. Lots. Very hot topic. So I thought I would do my best to provide my personal opinion, okay? And Patty, I'm sure we'll have hers as well too. Um, as an agent, I'm talking to agents and small ISOs now. Okay. Should you still sell cash discounting? Here is my advice about that, okay? I'm not going to specifically answer the question because it's a personal choice, but I'm going to talk about a few things that you should be aware of, okay? Number one, you should be aware that there are going to be a lot of large ISOs who are no longer offering what we call cash discounting programs. Right. They're going to switch to surcharging. Mm -hmm. So the reason you need to be aware of that is you need to look up the chain a little bit. If you're a small ISO or an agent and you are selling for a company who sells for a company who boards their merchants with a company, mm -hmm. When you get to the very top of that chain, you need to find out, does that company support cash discounting? Right. If they don't, then you can be sure that there's going to be a trickle effect, and eventually mm -hmm. you won't be doing cash discounting either. Right. And you should also be aware that there are starting to become some negative side effects if you're not watching out. I'll, I'll mention this. I talked to an agent on the phone just very recently. He was selling for a company, which will remain nameless, that specifically sold cash discounting and only cash discounting okay. over the phone. Oh, interesting. Okay. So this guy, young guy, had a big portfolio. Another company came and bought out this company, and the company that bought them out didn't support cash discounting. Ooh. They didn't have a surcharge program. So they basically called all of his merchants, had the, the team call all of his merchants. He left you know, the company, called all of his merchants, and basically said, you know, you were sold a scam, and so we have to switch you back to traditional processing today. Oh, man. So, of course, his phone's blowing up. Old sure. customers, very upset, angry. He's like, look, it's not a scam. That's right. You know what I mean? Um, so there's some very negative situations that come about from buyouts and things like that. So my advice and the advice I'm taking is if you're going to continue selling cash discounting, you need to really be careful. You need to look around, look at the landscape, make sure you're not in a situation where it's about to get blown out of the water. Mm-hmm. 
right? So that's that's the first thing. The second thing I would tell you is I definitely believe it is time to get educated about surcharging. Oh, yeah. I think you need to understand it because at the very least, you're going to have competitors who are calling what you're doing non-compliant. Mm-hmm. So they have their opinion. That's fine. I definitely can see their point. You sure. know, it, it really, I mean, as far as Visa is concerned, it isn't compliant. Right, right. That's what Visa said. But I it's mean, not a scam. It's not a scam. Absolutely not. And I still believe it's compliant with the Durban Amendment, which is <laughs> which right. supersedes Visa's rules. Uh-huh. Um, but again, there's going to be the reality of the marketplace is there's going to be competitors who are saying what you're doing is not compliant. Mm-hmm. So you need to understand why you believe it is compliant. Right. You need to understand surcharge rules. You right. need to understand how surcharging works because it does seem like the landscape is is starting to shift in that direction, at least for the time being. And what I would think also that, you know, in that in, in terms of that, you're going to be competing against people that are selling surcharging to these Absolutely. guys as well. Absolutely. Right. So you want to be able to say, OK, this is what they're doing. This is what I'm doing. This is why I think one or the other is better for you. Absolutely. So I think you you know you always want to understand your competition, um, but in this case, I think kind of the larger macro is again you got to be careful and you want to make sure again that you know who your who your partners are in terms of. And I'm talking about your partners at the highest levels. You may right. not you don't consider them your partners because you're a small company. Right. You're a small agent, but who are you selling for? But who's the upstream? Yes. Who yeah. are they selling for? Who is the acquirer behind all this? Who's the bank behind all of this? Right. You know, a good way to look at that is look at your merchant application. Mm-hmm. If you read your merchant application, usually it says has the bank's name on it. It does. Yes. Um. So you know, look up that bank. Are they on record as being okay with cash discounting? Mm-hmm. Are they not? If they're not, it's going to trickle down to you. Now, again, it's uh, we've had several interviews, and I mean, kind of the big takeaway is that it's this is going to be a weird gray area for like a long time. Yes, it's going to take at least a year for everything to shake out, if not. It longer. is. Mm-hmm. And and what's going to happen is obviously Visa, they're going to go after the bigger upstream fish, mm-hmm. and they're going to slowly work their way down. Mm-hmm. You've got a small ISO, you're selling cash discounting, happy-go-lucky, that's great. Nobody's, you know, like Visa hasn't contacted me. Right. Well, of course not. They're not going to contact you. They're going to contact the company that, you know, does actually moves the money, and they're going to contact the bank, and the bank's going to reach out to the super ISO, and the super ISO is going to reach out to your ISO, and then your ISO is going to reach out to you, right. and then you're going to have to tell all your sub-agents. Mm-hmm. You know, so you've got to look upstream and figure out what's happening and try to get some, some data on this and, yeah, and find yeah. out what's going on. But you definitely, I think at the very least, though, you really need to be aware of what's happening. You need to understand surcharging and, you know, just be kind of aware of that and make a conscious decision if you're going to do it, understand your competition, and then go full force. I'm all about it. It's great. It's a differentiator. Right. Cash discounting could be a great thing to sell, um, but it's you got to be careful. And, and, and it's like with anything. You can't just go out and sell it. You have to understand what you're selling and what you're competing against. Yep. So there you go. That's my uh, my uh, questions from the field today, and uh, believe me, that's a question that I've gotten a lot of. Patty. That's a good one. <laughs> so thanks, everybody. Have an awesome day. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.